House come to order if members can take their seats. This budget is a huge job maker, and the number one solution to economic insecurity is a job. Hungry children can't learn, and it's our responsibility to try to help. Equality and opportunity. I believe most people are here because they want to do some good. And it's Capital Ideas, the podcast where members of the Majority Democratic Caucus in the Washington State House of Representatives sit down at the Capitol to talk about ideas. If you're new here, welcome. And if you're an old hand, welcome. We've been talking recently with first-term lawmakers, and today we'll keep that string going with Representative Jessica Bateman. Jess is midway through her first two-year stint working for constituents in the 22nd Legislative District, which is anchored by the capital city of Olympia and includes most of Tumwater and Lacey, Boston Harbor, and everything that flies, swims, crawls, or walks at the Billy Frank Jr. Nisqually National Wildlife Refuge. You'll hear Jessica's story in just a minute, and it's a good one. We recorded this via Zoom, and here it is. Welcome to Capital Ideas, Representative Jessica Bateman of the 22nd Legislative District. I'm really happy to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. I'm excited to have a conversation. This year saw a record number of first-year legislators joining the House Democratic Caucus, and one of them was you. Who are you, and how did you get here? Thank you. Well, I am very honored to serve the people of the 22nd District, Olympia Lacey and Tumwater. Some people might know me from my work on the Olympia City Council. I served five years there. I came to Olympia in 2007 to attend the Evergreen State College. I moved from my hometown of Maple Valley, where I had grown up kindergarten through high school, and then I went to community college at Green River, um, got a lot of life experience, and then really wanted to finish my bachelor's degree, which is why I moved to Olympia to go to the Evergreen State College. You know, I grew up in a pretty small town. I was raised by a single mom. She did work for government. She worked in um, an environmental water field, so she would go out and make sure that companies were not polluting our waters and our water systems. So I always had a close connection and understanding with what government does and the services that they can provide, which I think is unique. Not everyone has that. And being here in the capital city, we have a large number of state employees. And at the Evergreen State College, when I went there for my last two years, they really emphasized as graduates of the Evergreen State College, you're expected to go out and become active and engaged members of your community. And a course that I took there required nine hours of volunteer service every week. It was kind of difficult to do because I was working while I was going to school, but I did. I started volunteering at the Olympia Co-op and then also at Lincoln Elementary. And that experience, in addition to volunteering on a climate change rally, um, it was a day-long community conversation about how are we going to tackle climate change? How are we going to address this issue that's impacting all of us? And I'd never seen anything like that before in the small town where I'd come from, a group of citizens coming together to think about how are we going to collectively address this existential threat. So those two experiences of volunteering, getting connected, and then also having a community-wide conversation about a policy issue kind of planted the seeds of policy in my mind. And so I started 
working on climate change policy as an undergrad, went on to intern with the city of Olympia for working on climate action planning. And eventually I was able to sit in on a hearing in the legislature for a cap and trade bill uh, where the governor, Governor Gregoire at the time came in and testified in support of it. And at the time, you know, I was an undergrad. I didn't know what legislative district I lived in. You know, I, I voted in presidential elections, but I wasn't super engaged. I was learning and absorbing. And I realized then and there that I wanted to work on policy because if I wanted to make long-term impactful change, I had to do it through the law. And so that's when I looked for internships working with ad, within advocacy and statewide policy. And I was able to secure an internship with the Washington Healthcare Association, and they work with nursing home providers and assisted living providers in the state, work with some really great people. Then I got a job as an organizer for SEIU 775, working on a campaign to professionalize the workforce of home care workers. That was really awesome to be a grassroots organizer, working directly with home care workers. And then I got a job as a legislative aide to former Representative Chris Reichdahl. He was a mentor to me and really planted the seeds of public service and potentially running for office someday. He encouraged me to do that. It's been a long process for me to get there um, while I was working for him, going to school. It was amazing to have him as a boss and a mentor. He had been a teacher, so he was very supportive and always wanting to have, you know, making sure that there were people that were coming after him and, and always thinking about nurturing future leaders, which was really great. So then I was appointed to the Olympia Planning Commission, which was a really great experience. And I got on the board of Grub, a local nonprofit, empowering community through food production. And then I decided to run for city council in 2015. I served there for five years and working with local government is a really rewarding experience. You work directly and very closely with the community that you serve. It's a little different than working in the legislature. And I feel like that experience has been profoundly impactful for my voice as a representative for the 22nd district, knowing that work, knowing the issues that are impacting our cities, our constituents there is, is really important. And I'm, I'm very excited to bring that experience here to the legislature. So that's a little synopsis in a nutshell of how I got here today. <laughs> Let me ask you about your committee assignments. You're the vice chair of the Healthcare and Wellness Committee, which is kind of a coup for a first-year lawmaker to be a vice chair of, a, of such a major committee. You're on the Housing, Human Services, and Veterans Committee, and you're on the Capital Budget Committee. All these really tie in, I think, pretty well to a person with local government experience because they're all the kind of things that happen on the ground uh, in a local community. Maybe starting from the back, the capital budget, of course, builds infrastructure. The Housing and Human Services and Veterans Committee, clearly that's something that impacts on a daily basis mm -hmm. life in a local community and healthcare and wellness you know, that goes without saying. How does a lawmaker become a member of various committees? Do you ask? Do you sit back and wait to be appointed? What's that process? Sure. So once you're elected, we go through a committee selection process. There's a committee on committees, if you can believe that. You get to indicate your selection, your preference of committees. And so I was very interested in healthcare, um, 
During my day job, I work in health policy for community health centers. So community health centers are nonprofit community health clinics that provide care to a large number of Medicaid patients in Washington state. There are 27 in Washington and they are a significant component to our social safety net. They provide primary care, dental, behavioral health, and in some cases we'll actually have pharmacy on site, which is really important because you wanna have in essence a one-stop shop for people to be able to access healthcare, especially for folks that are working full-time, in some cases working more than one job, you know, really struggling to make ends meet. If you can have all those services available in one location and even having things like navigators or WIC on site, that really does help people because it reduces the barriers to getting those services and that care, which is so important. Also, my work at local government on the Olympia City Council, you know, I would say that our cities more and more are being faced with addressing issues that they typically have not had as lines of business within local government. For instance, the city of Olympia, which is about 53,000 people, we don't have, we didn't have a public health department that's overseen through the county. However, healthcare, health impacts, public health, those are all issues that are being felt at the local level within the city. And we saw that really dramatically with COVID, obviously, but also mental health, mental health services. Our schools are asking for additional mental health resources for people. We're also seeing folks in our community that are unhoused that need access to mental health services, social workers. So this is an issue that impacts all communities. And I'm very, very passionate and excited about being on the healthcare committee, holistic, whole person care, which includes behavioral health, also resources and assistance for people experiencing substance use disorders. Our country is still in the grips of an opioid epidemic. This last year, we had been on a downward trend with opioid overdoses, but this last year with COVID, we actually saw a significant uptick, and it's very, very tragic. We need to work on that. We, as a, as a state and as a country, really need to work on how we treat people with substance use disorders, the resources that we provide for that and mental health and behavioral health. We have been working on that as a state for a number of years. It's been a focus within the legislature and the healthcare committee. And I'm very passionate about the issue and looking forward to using my experience, both the local level and working with community health centers, especially for our most vulnerable community members. I also serve on the housing committee, which uh, you mentioned does link to local government. All the committees do. Um, interestingly, in the Senate, they house their housing committee and local government committee together in recognition that land use is inextricably linked to housing because what we allow to be built, what we allow to be zoned for, those decisions have all been designated at the local government level. Um, and so I serve on housing, not on local government in the house. Um, and we saw this year a ton of work on tenant protections, no cause evictions, making sure that people have ample time to move because we've seen so many people falling into homelessness with the increased costs of housing. And there's been studies that tell you for every, I think, $100 increase you have in rent, you see a 15% increase in homelessness. They are linked. And because we have such 
uh, lack of housing, and there's so much housing scarcity, we have seen an incredible increase in the cost, not only of homes for sale for people that want to purchase a home, but also increases in rent. That was happening before COVID occurred. And since COVID, people have really fallen behind in their payments. So we were able to allocate funds for that back rent and create some guardrails for people as we come out of the pandemic to ensure that there's not a huge tsunami of people that are going to be evicted. Very rewarding to be on that committee. And I could talk about housing policy all day. I'll <laughs> refrain from doing that here. But that really does tie back to local government as well. You know, the when I ran last year and then the, and for city council both times, housing, housing costs was the number one issue that I heard about from my constituents. It's still impacting my constituents in Lacey Olympia and Tumwater today. And we have to do everything we can to ensure everyone has access to an affordable home. And I am very committed to doing that. Lastly, the capital budget committee. Everyone loves being on capital budget committee because we get to invest resources in the infrastructure of our communities. We did some really great work on the Capital Budget Committee this year, and I was very excited about all the projects we got in the 22nd District, which are quite long, one of which is the Armory in the City of Olympia, which is now going to be a community asset for the arts, and they're going through a process right now to really define how that space will be used, but it will be a community artistic asset for everyone to enjoy. And it will also have a heritage component because it's historically been an, an armory. So we were able to get that um, arrangement with uh, the military department. So lots of work. It was you know fast and furious during session because everything was remote, but I'm very happy with my committees and looking forward to serving on them again next year. Let me get your take on the fact that this was a remote session. There was a lot of, of hand-wringing before this took place and really from certain voices throughout the session that somehow with the Capitol being closed to the public that people were somehow just being shut out of government. Fact is, it kind of turned out to be the opposite, didn't it? Mm -hmm. We actually saw an exponential increase in the number of comments that we received from the public because we were able to provide opportunities for people to remotely provide public comment, both in written form, which had been already occurring, but also via Zoom. And so um, as vice chair of healthcare, you know, we got to hear from just an incredible number of individuals. And I think what we saw also was not only that significant increase in the percentage of people providing public comment, but also a diversity of the voices at the table. And we know that it's difficult to come during the work week, midday, to travel to the Capitol, the state Capitol, find parking. It's especially challenging if you're coming from the east side of the mountains. Those provide incredible barriers for people typically. And so I was really excited to see the opportunity remotely for people to come in because I think it's really important that we hear from voices that aren't typically heard in the legislature. And we did see that this year. And I think our priorities reflected that, the things that we worked on and the issues that we really pushed for. And I don't think this is going to change in the future. I think that if anything, it will just expand. It doesn't look like things are going to go back to business as usual. 
No, I think we're going to see a hybrid, not only with the legislature, but also with, you know, how people work. And I, I think we should all be embracing that. There's also a lot of other benefits when you have less people traveling by car, reducing greenhouse gas emissions. This is the new way of doing business. And I think we're going to continually improve upon it, hopefully, and continually provide ways to remove barriers for people to provide input. And we can we still have work to do on that. It's not perfect. Let's talk about this session. You sponsored quite a few bills. Most of them dovetailed quite nicely with the priorities that we've talked about here. But let me get you to sort of give yourself a report card on how this first session went for you. Sure. So I did. I took on a number of bills this year, some of which had been worked on previously um, and some that needed continued advocacy and work and some that were brand new. I worked on a long-term care bill that brought together the nursing home and assisted living facility sectors and adult family homes, along with the long-term care ombuds. We saw during COVID, um, you know, with that restricted access to folks in long-term care, it really highlighted an opportunity to ensure that folks in long-term care have to have access to communication to the outside world, that that's not something that we can negotiate on. It really is necessary for people to be able to communicate with the outside world, their families, getting a hold of them during a situation like that. And then also ensuring that staff are answering the phones when families call. We were able to work together and and get a bill passed that ensured those patient rights and also helps us prepare more for a future pandemic or other public health emergency that could impact our long-term care sector. I was very proud of that legislation and I'm excited that it passed. I worked on a bill that created an additional Superior Court judge in Thurston County, which might not sound all that exciting, but it's really important. We want to ensure that everyone has access to a quick and speedy trial and has due process of law like we are all entitled to. And there's an interesting process that counties and the state have to go through in order to get funding for a Superior Court judge. It's also a little unique in Thurston County because they do take cases that are statewide. And so we're the capital city, so we can see an an increased number of those. So we were able to get that judge position funded, which is really good. Um, We have seen a slowdown during COVID, obviously, but this was something that was needed even before COVID. So it was really pronounced during COVID, and it was especially important that we got that accomplished. So those were my two bills that I actually got passed out of seven. So you tell me what that (laughs) what rate of success that is. It's not bad. (laughs) Um, But I did work on, you know, a number of other ones. Um, I had a housing bill that would have provided a real estate excise tax rebate to cities that go through the process of increasing their density to allow more diverse housing options. Um, As a former local government person, I know how difficult that can be, and we wanted to find a way that incentivizes that for cities that's voluntary. Um, It had a lot of support, actually. It made it all the way through the House, and it made it into the Senate appropriations, but unfortunately, we weren't able to bring it across the finish line. I worked on a community solar bill that was pretty technical and complex. That was a bill that Representative Dolio had worked on, and unfortunately, the funding for it in 2019 got vetoed because of going into COVID. They wanted to Um, make sure that they had resources. Um, And then I had a couple other tangential bills, but I mean, by and large, I was pretty happy with how it went. There are additional things I want to keep working on, and some of those will come back next year. 
And I'll point out that every bill that you had that didn't make it to the finish line during the 2021 session is reintroduced on the first day of the 2022 session. So Mm -hmm. none of these bills could be considered dead. Correct. That's a good way of looking at it. You gave a very personal and impressive speech on the House floor when the legislature was considering a response to the Supreme Court's Blake decision, which uh, to to simplify throughout the law that made it a crime to have simple possession of drugs. Their basis was that a person might not have known that they had drugs. And the result was that Washington was left without drug possession laws for a while. You gave a speech that opened a lot of people's eyes. Do you want to talk a little bit about that, Jess? Absolutely. You know, it was a surprise to all of us when the Supreme Court gave its ruling on the Blake decision, all of a sudden making it unconstitutional to have a law that criminalized simple possession of a narcotic. I personally was very excited when that ruling came down, but then it became clear that in the absence of a state law, what we saw happening was cities taking up that mantle of, okay, we are going to make and pass laws that are misdemeanors, but the way that they would do the sentencing would actually be more punitive than the previous state crime of personal possession. And so it was clear that we had to respond. We saw a bill drop in the Senate that was modeled after, I believe, Oregon, and it did have a gross misdemeanor. In the House, uh, we had a little bit more interest in not going as far as having a gross misdemeanor. I signed on to the bill that would have made it a civil infraction, so not having it be a crime, um, someone getting a ticket. That unfortunately did not have enough support to get it across both the Senate and in the House. And so we then started thinking about alternatives. We eventually landed on a simple misdemeanor. In that process of those conversations, I heard comments like, when it's a crime, at least we have an opportunity to incarcerate someone, and that provides them an opportunity to get clean. Or people get connected to resources through the criminal court process when they are arrested and go to jail. I had never spoken about my own personal experience publicly before. I served on the Olympia City Council for five years, and it was never something that was relevant. Close friends and family knew about my experience. But when this issue came up, it was clear to me that if I shared my story, legislators that I work with that see me as a peer and a colleague, you know, if I shared my experience, that they might be able to relate to it more, having it come from someone that they can relate to. And it might help open up their mind and reduce the stigma associated with having a substance use disorder. I moved to Olympia in 2007. I had six months clean and I moved here to start a new chapter of my life. I moved away from everyone I knew. I enrolled in college and I just took off from there. And I had incredible opportunities. I had incredible mentors, but I also had a lot of luck on my side. And I alluded to that in my speech because so many people don't have those opportunities and resources and criminalizing what is a behavioral health issue in my world and where I come from and my experience wouldn't have helped me at all. And in fact, it would have been a detriment to my getting healthier and my advancing in my professional career and my, my journey, really my path. Having a felony conviction like the previous state law, you know, it would have 
been difficult for me to get a home, to get a job, to really continue on with that journey. And so we know now what the decision was. The legislature did pass the bill, making it a simple misdemeanor, requiring that law enforcement divert individuals to a navigator outside of the criminal system, providing folks you know, with resources to find out what do you need? Do you need therapy? Do you need housing assistance? Do you need food assistance? What is going on with you that we can help with? Because what we know from data and the studies is that when people are surrounded with resources and assistance, they're more likely to not self-medicate. Self-medication is something that has a strong correlation to trauma. And there's a lot of reasons why a person would feel, and it's actually quite logical and rational, I think, to feel like you want to make yourself feel better. So helping someone get well, helping provide them with services is a natural antidote to that. And so I was very happy to see us turn that corner. And quite frankly, I was pretty nervous about sharing those remarks on the floor. And I, all I was focused on was getting them out and just saying them. And I didn't think a lot about what would happen afterwards. <laughs> um, and the, the positive response was really profound. I mean, people just were so supportive. I had constituents that thanked me. And so obviously this is something that people still connect with and can relate to because we've had an opioid epidemic that has you know, just decimated families and so many people, lives have been lost, families have been torn apart. So we have to do more. And this was a step in the right direction. I think we've summed up pretty well who Jessica Bateman is. And it's a very impressive package. I know you've got other appointments today, but before we cut you loose, is there anything we haven't brought up that you think might round out today's capital ideas? I would say that, you know, this last session, we had an extreme focus on the emergency at hand, which was our public health emergency that is still impacting our state and our country today. Um, and we also did some incredible work outside of that. We passed a capital gains excise tax. We funded the Working Families Tax Credit. We passed Cap and Invest, the Clean Fuel Standards. I mean, we really did an extraordinary amount of work in a short time period. And I can say that as a former legislative assistant, you know, I've seen legislative sessions as a city council member, I track them, um, not trying to like toot our own horn, <laughs> but in terms of, you know, going forward, there is still so much work to do, obviously. And an area of focus that I'm really interested in working on is around land use and climate change. You know, we have less than nine years to make some significant reductions in our greenhouse gas emissions. And we are seeing the impacts of climate change every single day with forest fires, with flooding, increased occurrences of storms. We have no time to waste on this issue. And I believe that our land use policies are inextricably linked to climate change and our preparation for a future of reducing our greenhouse gas emissions. As a former planning commissioner and city council member, um, I'm acutely aware of how long it takes once you pass zoning reform or zoning changes and to when you actually see construction happen. And so that's an area that I'm very interested in working on and making sure that we're building dense cities that allow for multimodal transportation, that help us reduce our greenhouse gas emissions, that are people-oriented, getting people out of their cars, into their communities. We know that young people want to live within a quarter mile, you know, walking distance of all those amenities and work. They saw their parents drive to work every single day. My own mom, I grew up in Maple Valley. She drove an hour to and from work every single day. 
And I vowed I would never do that. Now I live within five minutes of my employer because I saw that happen. Young people don't want to do that. We also know that over the next 20 years as a state of the population growth that we experience, 80% of it will occur in cities. That's where we're seeing the growth happen. That's where we're seeing those opportunity areas, job rich areas. So that's where we have to be looking. And coincidentally, and thankfully for us, the Growth Management Act says we need to focus our new growth in cities where the infrastructure already exists, where you can get people to do multimodal transportation. And that also helps us reduce greenhouse gas emissions. So we have an incredible opportunity. I'd love to see us focus on that in the 2022 session. Another issue area that was of increased importance to us this year, especially, was equity. And you saw that reflected in our priorities as a Democratic caucus and the bills that we pushed forward and we passed. Police reform, police accountability, ensuring that our communities are safer because people have confidence in law enforcement and that they can trust law enforcement. And we know that for communities of color, that has not been the case. And we need to change those systems in order for people to have accountability within law enforcement. We fortunately had a package of police reform bills that were created by a group of members of color over the last year. And we were able to pass the vast majority of them. I'm very grateful for their work and their response to what we saw in 2020, which was a reckoning with the fact that we have a history of racism within our country that still impacts the systems that we have today, not only with police reform and accountability, but also within our healthcare systems. I serve on healthcare and we were able to work on a lot of bills, including increasing uh, equity training for healthcare workers. We also worked on that with education. There were a lot of different focus areas and I know that that is just the beginning of our work in equity and racial justice. And fortunately, the freshman class that we had this year is the most diverse freshman class. And so I'm very, very confident that this will be an issue that's prioritized and we'll continue to fight that fight in the 2022 session. I think we've done a great job here of, of giving people a really good picture of who Representative Jessica Bateman is and what the 2021 legislative session accomplished. So Jess, I appreciate you spending this much time with me today and I hope that we'll get to talk some more in the future. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Dan. It's been a pleasure. Have a great day. You too. That was Representative Jessica Bateman, and I'll bet you learned something new in this last half hour. That's good. Now I'll say what I always do, which is why not subscribe to Capital Ideas on Apple Podcasts, on SoundCloud, Spotify, Stitcher, or right on the House Democratic Caucus webpage. This is your state government. What goes on here matters. The more you know about the place and the people who work here, the better off we'll all be. I'm Dan Frizzell for the Washington State House Democrats, putting people first since 1889. Thanks for listening and please wear a mask.